So we have a more somber episode for you all this week. We are going to review the Hulu documentary Truth and Lies, Jonestown Paradise Lost. This documentary covers the murder of over 900 people at the hand of Jim Jones and the People's Temple cult. This documentary looks at the event through the eyes of Jones's sons and some survivors of Jonestown with visceral and real footage of the cult that led to one of the largest tragedies in U.S. history. Grab a soothing cup of tea and let's get started. I'm Alyssa. I'm Erin. And, and we are Crime TV. In the beginning, they really set up this vibe, a look into how very early People's Temple was. And I'm not going to lie. First thought is, wow, this place sounds nice. This is a utopia. It had a certain air of pleasantness to it. Well, because they were talking about just the diversity and all the different cultures and people coming together. And it doesn't matter if you're black, white. Or any of the other races, no matter your gender, your age, you're all welcome in the People's Temple. I kind of felt like that would be a pleasant place. So, as we progress through this documentary, I keep asking myself, oh, how could these people get into this? How could they sign up for the People's Temple? If you personified a Beatles song, this is exactly what it would be like. <laughs> yeah. This sounds really pleasant. So, I get it. I kind of get it, but once you start doing things like we'll talk about later, <laughs> I, I question the mental well-being. I, I question a lot, actually. Yeah, it sounded good up until a certain point, and I think we're probably talking about the same point. Oh, yeah. And then it, <laughs> and then it starts getting a little dodgy, and you're like, oh, 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 oh mm, no, baby, what are you doing? They start to progress and they get into this kind of tent revival down by the river church camp vibe. When I was in high school, we did the play Godspell. And it's like a 1970s Christian gospel. Very much had the vibe of a church revival down by the river. And there's this point where you're supposed to be healed or there's like healing. And... He wanted everybody to erupt with this overjoyed for this person getting healed. And he showed us the video of that lady who was part of the People's Temple administration and how she was in that wheelchair and she was just rolling around. And then Jim Jones just did all his gospel on her and she got up out of the chair and just dancing, praising the Lord. I'm sorry. He showed that video. Yes. And he's like, this is what I want you to use as your inspiration. Just how everybody was like tambourine and flags just singing and praising that this person was healed that's what he wanted us to embody if you got the energy but like considering how that turned out right well this was very early people's temple this was pre-jonestown well i know but and i had no idea what it was from i was just like oh doing the little tambourines powerful healing voodoo i really liked how i i kind of knew where this was headed obviously this story did not stay the utopia that it was made out to be in the beginning Mm -hmm. and we knew that going into it but i did appreciate how right after they explained and like showed that footage of that woman the documentary was immediately like but that was not real (laughs) 
they just lay it out for you right away. Right. They're um, like, we're not messing with this. Yeah. They're like, we're not, we're not doing this. We're not messing with this. That was not real. That was fabricated. That was staged. Do not. <laughs> okay. So then it starts getting bad. Yeah. Tell so me about the bad stuff. I knew beforehand about Jonestown. I knew Jim Jones and the synopsis of don't drink the Kool-Aid, but I didn't know all the things that led up to it, which is what I found interesting in this documentary. Whenever they started talking about, like, you have to have sex with Jim Jones to push his socialism agenda, I was like, now, wait a minute. <laughs> I feel like we passed by a lot of stuff. And they started talking about how he was using drugs of unknown sorts. And that's kind of where things spiraled. And so I think he had this influential personality, kind of like somebody else in history, Adolf Hitler. He kind of had this persuasive, charismatic personality type, and people were very easily convinced to follow them, no matter whatever tactics they wanted to use or beliefs they wanted to push. They had that personality type that you would believe anything that they said. Well, I think that's a real-life trope that we see quite often, if you think about it. I mean, people who are able to get other people into these kinds of things have to have just this out of this world charisma they've usually got that like rock star vibes the poster for this episode is jim jones in those purple sunglasses Mm -hmm. purple reflective aviators and it doesn't mean anything about these people's actual personality because as we've seen time and time again they're terrible people but i think you do have to have this rock star attitude charisma persuasiveness about you and jim jones definitely had that and considering this was 78 given how many documentaries we've covered in this time it was only an amount of time before he started doing drugs and took on this rock star vibe because it was the 70s i think that the part that you just described is is exactly the part where i was like uh okay this is taking a downward turn there was a lot of build-up in this documentary I feel like it took a very sharp nosedive. And maybe they did that on purpose because they wanted there to be like a lot of backstory and build up. And then all of a sudden you're like in it. And maybe that's because it's how it was. I was about to say, I think that's basically how it happened in my perspective. And what I've read is that things took a sharp turn real quick. So I'm going to chalk that up to a good choice on this documentary's part. You could not convince me to move to a desolate south american country where it is 212 degrees fahrenheit outside that's dramatic but that's what it feels like (laughs) and i live in texas that's a lot for me to say people's willingness to go to such lengths people were quite literally leaving their families behind to go down here and it was presented as this heaven on earth kind of deal which I guess was appealing at that time, but I agree with you. I could never see myself doing that. Cult mentality is a very strange thing. I would like to, at some point, talk to a historian and or psychologist about how cult mentality happens. This is just me making assumptions based off of what I know, but I think that they prey on people, I believe, similar to the psychology that we have in street gangs. You need a sense of belonging. You need a sense of home. You need a family. And you have that in your relationship to those people. 
but your activities may not be the best. But because you're doing that with your family and your home, the people you love, you're willing to do that. And that's a good point because I guess it's like kids going down a wrong path because their parents are going down a wrong path. It seems okay if you're with your parents. Now that you've put it in that light, I could kind of see it. I guess it's just hard for people like you and I to imagine just because we come from relatively stable households and like there's not such a need for those kinds of things necessarily. My basic needs as a child were fulfilled so I didn't try to get that fulfillment somewhere else. Yeah, like, we didn't ever feel the need to go find a new family or new home and, like, search for those kinds of, those kinds of emotional needs. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be very hard to put myself in, in those shoes. But, yeah, that's a good point. Like, if you, if you needed a family, if you didn't have anyone that you trusted or that would help you through life, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you got a thousand or more of those people... Yeah, I guess that would make a pretty big social and emotional impact. You wouldn't see the clarity enough to remove yourself from a toxic situation. Yeah, well, and on smaller scales, people live in toxic situations all the time and for various reasons can't or don't see the toxicity and don't feel that they need to change anything. And We've all done something toxic or been in a toxic situation that we ignored for all intents and purposes before whether it be something really small or a little bit bigger. We've been there. I mean, yeah, there's family relationships, there's romantic relationships where it's toxic, but you don't realize that until you're out of it. The way it starts, the way it's presented that this, that kind of starts the story is the congressman Mm -hmm. going down to Jonestown. And that's where it kind of really started going poorly. Well, yeah. November 18th, 1978 is when shit got real in a small country in South America. The congressman, his crew, the camera crew, they go down to Jonestown. And on the surface, the congressman says, this place is great. You guys are having a really grand time. And there's nothing that seems out of the sorts here. So he thought. There was 18 people that originally wanted to leave Jonestown. The congressman and his crew, they were taking those 18 people. And then six other people were like, please, take us now. Whenever they attack the airstrip, what triggered them to go attack the aircraft? The congressman and the people that were trying to leave Jonestown. Just because they were trying to leave. Like, if I can't have you, then nobody can type of ideology. Possibly part of that. And then I think when the congressman came, Jones started this narrative to the people there that like, oh, they're coming for us. This is an attack. Them coming here and taking people is an attack on us. And then when they started shooting at all of the people on the airstrip and and killed many of them, then it was like, now they're definitely going to come after us. So we have to protect ourselves which in my mind it went as horribly as they possibly could have that day in jonestown so they get back to the camp in the documentary and it's whenever he's calling over the intercom we're under attack bring out the juice and so this is the biggest complaint that i have with this whole incident is that they call this a mass suicide this was a mass murder Yeah. 
Because if you weren't going to go willingly, then we would take you. We're going to take you down with us. I mean, they talked about how people were being chased down with syringes of cyanide. It was being injected into babies' mouths. Babies. Small children. And if you try to run, then we're going to inject you with it. Or some people were shot, from what I read. Yeah. That's that's not suicide. A baby doesn't commit suicide by ingesting cyanide. Baby doesn't commit suicide at all. Baby doesn't understand that. You don't commit suicide when you're running away. You don't shoot yourself from several feet away. So, as far as historians go, when they call this a mass suicide, I feel like that's a load of shit. And that's so disrespectful for those people. Yeah, I think that that term gets thrown around way too loosely in this case. I think there were people in Jonestown that willingly drank the cyanide juice knowing it was going to kill them. And and I think that's why people use that term. However, the level of coercion and intimidation that had been occurring up to that point almost makes it, I don't even know what the term is, but just like insanity defense. You know what I'm trying to say? Mm -hmm. Like, I think the level of coercion that had happened to get to that point and the fact that, you know, you're being told this is a good thing by someone standing there with a gun that's going to shoot you if you don't. Right. It's not, okay, you may have took the cup and drank it and didn't have to be shot or injected with it, but when there's someone standing behind you with a gun saying, take this or die, still not really willing. I don't think we can conclusively say that every single person that died there absolutely didn't want to do it because that's something that was a part of the people's temple that eventually they die for the cause. Right. Throughout the documentary, we see that they really ingrained that martyr type of ideology. It makes me so upset for these people in retrospect because they didn't know better. And there's some debate that I've seen in various research where the foods and what they were consuming were laced with some type of psychedelic drug that made them easier to persuade. I feel like a lot of those people truly didn't know any better. 900 lives were lost on that day because they didn't know any better. My heart hurts so bad for these people. I think that people use the term suicide because there were allegedly some people there that were willing to drink it and knew what it was going to do. But because of the situation and the just sheer horribleness of the entire thing, I personally would never feel comfortable calling that incident a suicide in any way, shape, or form. Right. They were so coerced into the suicide. And if the coercion didn't work, it was death. Death is the only option here. Yeah. They were actively going after people that tried to get away. And very few people made it out alive. From the people that were there, almost a thousand people, give or take. But there were seven people that were there on that day that survived. And some of those were designated survivors. And a few of them, I know at least one of them, was hiding. Whenever they came into the barracks to make sure that everybody was a goner, he pretended like he was dead. Yeah. And I can only imagine the fear that those seven people had. I know we have a true crime podcast, and I know that we talk about this type of thing, but that's just such a mass murder 
and it's a people of all different walks of life babies young kids even older kids it doesn't matter i believe they said 200 something children were included in that and i can't even fathom i'm starting to have those maternal instincts and to put my hypothetical child in that position this was a really horrific event and i think of the fact that a lot of these people weren't even identified nobody ever even came forward for these people one it speaks on what you were saying that these people were probably here because they had no one else and that's really sad that their lives ended early because they felt like they had no one else in their life and it does blow my mind that there are still people from this that were never identified this was a horrific event and it's hard to wrap your head around the numbers too It was hard enough to wrap my head around the numbers in the Ramirez case, but this is like a whole other ballgame. And we talk about this incident today, but you hear people say, don't drink the Kool-Aid, don't drink the Kool-Aid. And I think that's probably the only, I don't want to say only reason, but it may be the main reason that this historical event stays in discussion because You tell people when they do something, like, don't drink the Kool-Aid. Which, I don't think I'll ever be able to use that phrase again after seeing this. It just doesn't sit right anymore when you say it, does it? No, I don't think that I will use this phrase again because it feels disrespectful now that I know the story behind it. Because actually, before seeing this documentary, I didn't know where that phrase came from. I was completely unaware before this documentary of how that phrase got started. And so now doesn't sit right, I will not be saying that anymore. It feels very disrespectful to all the people that died. Yeah, it's a little bit degrading. Yeah, I don't like it. And one thing, while we're on the topic of of how horrible this case is and, and the fact that it's still talked about, I can't imagine how hard it must have been for the survivors to get on and talk about it publicly like that. We've talked about victims of cases coming forward and talking about their experience and how brave it is, and I don't think I'll ever stop having that conversation when we watch documentaries like this, Mm -hmm. because the bravery and the courage that it would take for someone who went through this, I think especially some of the people that weren't on site of Jonestown and for whatever reason had been off site and so didn't meet this fate but knowing if they had been there they would have probably. I don't think I would have been able to talk about something like that so I have a mad level of respect for people who have processed what happened to them, processed their emotions on it and are willing to talk about it and educate people into things like this. So this is one of the things that helped me put it into perspective whenever I was watching it, is 900 plus people perished in Jonestown. I have just shy of a thousand people on Facebook. And it made me realize what happened at Jonestown would be like if every person that I had on Facebook and that I've known for years and years and years wiped off the planet. Tons of people I went to high school with. My family, my friends, co-workers. If I had to list all those people, I couldn't. And so for these people that they spent years in the People's Temple Jonestown community, that's every bit of family and friends that they had. Yeah. I can't imagine trying to process grief of that level. Yeah. Especially for the two sons that were featured on the documentary, having to sit there and talk about 
your dad, your siblings, all your friends, everybody that you've known, just boom, gone. Yeah, it's not even my place to speak on this, but I think it's really hard for people also to process the fact that while Jim Jones was a terrible person, mm-hmm. and, and what he did and what he led all these people to was horrific, he was still somebody's dad. And his sons, like you said, they lost their dad. They lost their family, their siblings. They lost everybody. And that must have been really hard to come to terms with. As somebody who was born 20 years after this event, nearly, it's really easy to just, like, look at Jim Jones and be like, ah, what a dickhead, you know? Right. Real, real shit person. But that's somebody's dad still. And... I can't even imagine what it would be to have to relive this stuff every time it comes up in the news or media. This case hurts. I mean, every case hurts, but this one especially. For our listeners, for all of our teaaholics, we're going to include in our show notes a great resource that we found in our research. Um, The Department of Religious Studies at San Diego State University did some extensive research on the Jim Jones, Jonestown. Whole ordeal. Yes, from beginning to present day. We're going to link that in our show notes so that you can review it. It's got a lot of frequently asked questions. Some of the questions that we don't simply have time to cover. For instance, those seven people that I talked about surviving, why they survived. A lot of really good content in there. Early Jonestown, pre-People's Temple, that day... In November of 1978. So we'll definitely link that in the show notes. We encourage you to go read upon it. Educate yourself. Only in this 30 minute podcast. We have so few minutes to share with you. Yeah and I think this was a really great resource too. I learned a lot reading that resource. That the documentary didn't provide information on. And I think that's one of the things. That I wanted to bring up. This makes a really good segue. This documentary. Was already a long documentary. Mm Mm-hmm. And they didn't even touch half of the details. And I think part of it is because it was so horrific. There are some things that you can't justify airing. If you watch this documentary and you had questions or you felt like stuff was left out, definitely go to that resource because it answers like a lot of the questions I know I personally had about Jonestown as someone who didn't know about it beforehand that I felt like the documentary had left me hanging on and this resource answered. And once the resource answered some of those questions, I was like, okay, I kind of get why that wasn't in the documentary. I kind of get why that was not talked about. So if you have questions, like Alyssa said, go to that resource, serious. And with that, what do we think about this documentary? So I'm trying to separate case or incident from documentary. It's hard on this one. It's hard because I know that ABCU 2020 is usually about an hour and a half to two hours long. And so that goes into the point of there are some things that I wish were included in the documentary, but they simply did not have the time for. So they hit the highlights. Yeah. So given consideration to that, I would still get this somewhere between like a three and a half and a four. I'm going to kind of cast a net over three and a half and four. Okay. I feel like it had the really good concrete backstory, what led up to it, and it was educational. The one thing that I did have a negative opinion about 
It's how they had those people that were being interviewed that survived the Jonestown incident. And we didn't know until basically the closing credits. Thank you. How they survived. Two of the sons were playing basketball. The other gentleman was in town running errands. This whole time I'm like, okay, we talk about these horrific events, but where were you? Why are you sitting here? I'm, I'm glad you're sitting here telling us about this, but where were you? Yes, that was one of the things I was going to bring up if you I didn't. Knew it. <laughs> so I'm so glad that you also felt the same way. Yeah, I, I was very curious about that because I kept seeing that like on their little descriptor under their name, mm-hmm. it was like survivor. And I was like, but how? Right. How? They literally chase people down with syringes full of cyanide. Or guns. Whichever. Yeah, I was like, how did these people make it out? I need to know. And I really think what bothered me was because it was getting so close to the end of the documentary. I didn't think they were going to address it. And I was out of my mind about it. I was like, you have to address this. Well, I was just kind of like reeling in my curiosity. I think that part of my focus was taken away from other elements of the documentary. Because I'm like, why are you here? Again, glad you are here. But why are you here? Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the things that true crime documentaries have to be more mindful of. Because we've seen this a few times. Like, you got to know your audience. And anyone that... I'm assuming most people that like true crime and are interested in it also like having facts. They like knowing the details up front so that they can make decisions as they go and make opinions as they go. Right. So, I think... That was a little bit of a pitfall on the documentary for not recognizing that their audience was going to get off track and not be able to focus without all the details Mm -hmm. up front. Because I agree completely. And another thing, well, was that all you had for your rating? Yeah, so I'm going to go on, after discussing this and building up my hate. (laughs) I was going to say, after me egging you on. Three and a half cups of tea is what I will give this. I have given way too many four cups. You are getting a three and a half cups for this one. Okay. I think I am going to actually go three. Just a little bit lower. And I, I almost hate to say this because I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Mm-hmm. But I was kind of bored. Oh. And it wasn't it wasn't the case. Like, the case is not boring. I don't know. Something about it. Just, I found myself drifting in my thoughts and having to, like, consciously bring myself back to the documentary. Mm -hmm. I can't honestly pinpoint why that was, but I was a little bit bored. And then, like you said, they definitely made me mad by not addressing how those people survived until the last line before the credits showed. But three stars because it really wasn't a terrible documentary and... They spoke very well about the victims not being identified and how important it is to learn from these kinds of events and Mm -hmm. advocate for the people close to us. So they get props for that. And and they had real footage. Like, the documentary was not a bad documentary, honestly. But three cups. Three cups of tea. So six and a half cups of tea on a scale of one through ten. Not bad. Not bad for us. What kind of cups of tea are we having, Alyssa? Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Tell them. Okay. Tell them. So our friends, Lulu, Mariah, and Sydney from Tea and Terror, they are such good <laughs> podcast friends. They sent us 
a whole box of goodies from Plum Deluxe Tea. And today we are drinking the vanilla sugar cookie dessert tea. And this tea smells so good. I also had a cup. This is literally the best smelling cup of tea that I've ever made. It legitimately smells like a sugar cookie. Yep. It's about like Christmas time. It. De- I added milk to mine. You know how I am. <laughs> I know. I gotta add something in. I don't think I've ever had just a plain cup of tea. I think maybe our first episode I dressed mine up. Then after that I was just like, I like a good herbal tea. I think you honestly put some milk in it because I, I was like... Pressuring me? Yeah. <laughs> I was peer pressuring you honestly. And now look at me. But yeah, this was a really good tea. So thank you to our friends at Tea and Terror. For sure. And we have more where that came from. I know. We so, got enough tea to last us well through Pod Girl Summer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's delicious. So, thank you, girls. So, yeah, that is all we've got for Jonestown. Comments, questions, like Alyssa said, we'll have that resource in the description for this episode. And find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. At Crime TV. T-E-A-V. We are currently... As of June 2021, running a very special thing for you guys. If you could review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Podchaser, you will be featured on a shout out in our first episode in July, which we're going to be covering Natalie Holloway for that episode. Yes. So we'll spend a few minutes just giving you guys props. Showing our love and affection for you. We really appreciate all of our listeners. This is our little our little plug for you guys. Because we appreciate it so much. Seriously. So, Aaron, we have another special episode next week. Yes, we do. So, this is going to be on Cold Case Files. My first ever Cold Case Files episode. I know you've never watched it before, so I'm glad you did. But so it's going to be Cold Case Files, Season 4, Episode 25. The episode's titled Kidnapped. It's a Chad Choice episode out of Tyler, Texas, where we're located. So it's another local case. It's very interesting, and we can't wait to share it with you. It's on Peacock. Peacock is free. We go to Peacock so much because it is free, and you guys don't have to have a membership. You don't have to subscribe. So you could always be included when it comes to peacock you just sign in and there you're there you're there you can watch it right with us so yeah that's it see you guys next week i'm Alyssa. i'm erin and, and that's, that's the, the tea, tea.